All right, this is lesson five on the nature of authority, and we're calling this one the four, the four spheres of authority because there are, as best I can discern and distill it, there's only four areas that authority has been delegated into. We're going to look at that this morning after a brief review, and these curriculum will be available in pod school hopefully within the next two or three weeks, so you can pull these lessons down. Let's review what we've talked about for four lessons so far. Authority is defined as the right or power to make decisions. You have been authorized to make decisions. It's the right or authority to give orders and to enforce obedience. So when you're authorized, you enforce obedience. Parents get this. Police get this. Hopefully on your job with your responsibilities, you get this. And we, we had a lesson where we talked about how you have to learn how to execute authority. Uh, I believe God has us work in the world so that we can understand how to wield authority in different arenas. I'm thinking about when I was 22, 23 years old, a fresh geologist out of school, and then all of a sudden I was a, um, a geotechnical inspector or kind of a construction inspection, construction engineering inspector. So here I am, if you can imagine, I'm 22, 23 years old, and at my word, I can shut down a whole job site. I can shut down a million dollars worth of earth-moving equipment if the soil isn't right. And when you're not used to that kind of power, it can be very intimidating, especially when you have about a handful of big old burly rednecks that could fold you up, stuff you in a barrel, bury you, and not even miss a beat. So, you know, here you are, kind of a skinny kid fresh out of college, <coughs> and uh, you got your hard hat on, and you're like, <coughs> excuse me, sir, I know that your company is a billion-dollar company here in East Tennessee, but this soil doesn't pass inspection based on my nuclear density gauge. So um, I'm going to need you to re 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 redo it. <laughs> you get to learn confidence real quick because you represent an engineering firm and you stand in the gap between the DOT or the Department of Defense in one case and these contractors who contractors want to cut corners to make money to get off the job to get a bonus quicker. So why in the world they would ever trust a 22, 23-year-old out there I don't know, but you learn really quickly. I am answerable. I, I'm responsible to God, my boss. And so you learn real quickly. If I say it doesn't go, it doesn't go. And, and then there's times when I was a concrete inspector and you'd have to uh, do concrete tests, slump tests, maybe roller tests, uh, chase meter tests. And if the concrete's been sitting too long or the slump's too stiff, you got to send back that whole concrete truck. And here you are again, 22, 23, looking at a 10-yard concrete truck holding up production. He said, I'm sorry, got to go back and do it with confidence, realizing you got that this was a, a bank. We were doing a bank pour for a credit union in Oak Ridge. And all of a sudden, now you hold up the contractor. You're going to cost somebody some money because 10 yards of concrete ain't cheap. And you say, I'm sorry, it doesn't pass. Go, go away. That's using authority. If we don't ever put ourselves, or if God, we don't allow God to put us in situations where we learn to flex authority, then we'll always be bullied by all of life's devices. So authority is the right to enforce obedience. Uh, we covered in previous lessons, authority has three limitations. The domain of your authorization, I could only command concrete on the jobs I was over. If they're pouring concrete across the street, not my job, not my domain. The scope of work, I could only shut down earthwork and concrete. I wasn't supervised or authorized over asphalt or rebar. In some cases, that may be somebody else's, so it's none of my business. So you have a scope of work and then time limit. Once the concrete testing is done, I'm done. 
I go home. This applies to any arena of your life. I don't have dominion over your kids. You do. You only have dominion over your kids as long as they're in your home. If they move out, you lose your dominion. Authority is designed to be delegated, but can be obtained three different ways, only one of which is biblical and God-honoring. That is the first one, submission to authority. You obtain authority by submitting to it. The illegal ways are the fabrication of authority, where you just make something up and set yourself over it. Or the third and most wicked ways, by stealing authority, that makes you an usurper or a dictator or a Jezebel. It makes you a Judas. It makes you a lot of things, but it doesn't make you right. Authority is also a stewardship. When properly stewarded, it is rewarded with promotion and more authority. If authority is neglected, punishment will include demotion and loss of authority. This applies to every arena of life. If you don't steward the authority you have over your kids, you will lose your kids. If you don't steward your authority on the job, you will lose your job. If you don't steward your authority as a police officer, you will lose your badge. If we don't steward our authority in the kingdom, we're going to lose position in the kingdom. Promotion comes through righteous execution of authority. If you don't steward your authority over your mind, you'll lose your mind. If you don't steward authority over your body, your body quits early and you lose your body. This applies to every arena of life. This is such a foundational spiritual principle. I guess I'm embarrassed we didn't teach this earlier. As stated in a previous lesson, it may help to view authority as a river proceeding from the throne of God. From the Lord Jesus Christ, the river forks in three different directions, or I should say four different directions, authorizing four spheres of government for the benefit of humanity. The four spheres of government are spiritual family, personal responsibility, natural family, and then civil governments. And we'll cover those here in a minute in sequence. Personal authority. So you have spiritual family, personal authority, natural family, and then civil governments. And this is all laid out in about the first five books of the Bible because it's the book of beginnings, and it shows us how things unfolded from the mind of God. So spiritual family, let's talk about that one. This is the first sphere of authority. We define spiritual family as the preeminent spiritual unit on planet Earth. This is my definition. Consisting of God Almighty and his servant or servants. Of course, this is instituted with Adam. That's why we say servant to begin with. When God made Adam, God made a spiritual family. It was him and his created son, not the only begotten. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus was begotten, not made. Adam was made. He was molded out of dirt. Jesus Christ was not molded out of dirt. Jesus Christ is God with him forever from the beginning. In the beginning, it was just God and Adam, then God, Adam, and Eve. So we see the family begin to expand. It eventually grew to become Israel, then the church. This is spiritual family. The spiritual family is the group of people authorized by God to work his will in the earth. This is the first preeminent, foremost will of God. This is how everything will conclude at the end of time. It'll be the spiritual family again. Right now, we have the spiritual family and the lost. We have the angelic host and the demonic. Things are divided on two teams, good and evil both angelic and demonic, both human and pagan, okay? <clears throat> the spiritual family obtains authority by their covenant with and submitted relationship to God Almighty. Even among the spiritual family, not everybody has the same level of authority. 
And not everybody will ever grow in authority. Some people will choose to be irresponsible. They'll choose to come in late, leave early. They'll choose to come and miss services. You can't promote people who don't show up. It's like the military. You promote those that are faithful and that excel. The kingdom is the military of God in one allegory, and you only promote those that excel. They excel first, then you give them a seat of promotion. You don't give them a seat of promotion to help them excel. They excel at their current level, and as they expand and grow, you say, well, I can't leave this guy at this grunt level. i got to promote him and bring him up a little bit. God established the spiritual family when he created Adam with the divine purpose. That's the first establishment of a spiritual family. Lesson one covered the fact that God wanted mankind to have dominion. The spiritual family is the premier force of dominion in the earth because we have spiritual authority. We pray and we turn things. If we're quiet, wickedness prevails. If we're boastful, loud, and audacious in prayer, wickedness is hindered and resisted. The first manifestation of this dominion or delegated authority appears when God placed man in the Garden of Eden and set him over the works of his hand. God quickly delegated authority to man so man would be authorized to do things for God. He didn't just make man and just say, all right, now you just sit there in that corner. He said, I'm going to make you and you're going to work with me and I'm going to work with you to take care of everything else I've made. That is still the principle of the spiritual family today. Today it's the church. God works with us. We work with him to accomplish his will in his creation today. You see, the book of beginnings reveals God's first intention with authority. He makes mankind to give authority to, to accomplish something in the earth. That's why it's necessary for us to understand this, so that we can be used of God. Coming to church doesn't make you used of God. Coming to church changes your location. But coming to church and serving God and serving God faithfully and serving God joyfully, that earns to you a good degree of promotion in the Lord where he gives you more authority and you can do greater things for him. I'm convinced that many Christians don't want any more responsibility. They just want to come and enjoy the worshiptainment and the lecture. It should be our heart's cry that say, Lord, use me to do more for you. Lord, this kingdom needs to be built. Give me a hammer. Lord, this kingdom needs to be built. Give me a shovel. And at the same time, if you're praying that and it's not happening for you, you need to evaluate, why won't God give me a hammer or a shovel? Does he not trust me? And he may not. These are things you have to evaluate on your own. God quickly delegated authority to man so man would be authorized to do things for God. This made Adam the first co-laborer together with God. That's what we're all supposed to be. But before you can be a co-laborer, you have to actually be a laborer. And we know that's one of our callings in this kingdom is to be a laborer. Throughout time, anyone who submitted to God and sought to advance his will and purpose would have incorporated, excuse me, would have been incorporated into God's spiritual family, his congregation or church. You had the spiritual family in the garden. Then you had the congregation in the wilderness, that is Israel, that was a mixed company. They had Egyptians that came out that wanted to be part of Israel. And there were laws set forth for how you were to treat the foreigner who believed on God. And now we have the church. And anywhere people fear God and call upon his name, they are born again and engrafted into the church of the living God. Jew, Gentile, red, yellow, black, white, we are all born again in Christ to become members of his church. The purpose of spiritual family is to know and work with God to accomplish his will on the earth, producing peace and harmony. Remember we said the preeminent purpose of all authority is to produce peace and harmony 
wherever you go. If you are not producing peace and harmony with the authority you've been given, you are derelict in your duty. Uh, Lydia and I went to Lowe's yesterday. My first job out of college was at Lowe's, so I always have PTSD when I go to Lowe's. Uh, they now have an inner earpiece, so you don't hear the calls over the intercom necessarily. But for the longest time, e- anywhere I go, I can hear the sales clerk being called over the intercom because when you work in sales, you were trained and conditioned. You have to listen for that. So I'm still tuned. I can still hear oh, somebody in houseware is in trouble because that's the third time they've called for them and nobody's answering. They're in trouble. So we were in Lowe's yesterday, and I was just, we walked through inside Lawn and Garden. That was my department. Had a little bit, it wasn't memory lane, it was more like trauma alley. But even the authorization I was given working in inside lawn and garden was to bring peace and harmony. I was to stock shelves. That's harmony. I was to write stock item numbers on the boxes and set them above where the product is placed. That's peace and harmony. I was to make sure customers were happy. That's peace and harmony. Even a sales clerk selling ground killer, weed killer, and weed eater twine is authorized to produce for the Lowe's Corporation peace and harmony. If I failed to accomplish that, I would be fired, and someone else would be hired who could steward the authority to create peace and harmony. All of this is very simple. We serve the Prince of Peace. Everything around us should be peaceful and harmonious. That's what you're authorized to create. If your life is defined by chaos and angst, someone is derelict in their duties, and you won't be promoted to a higher place. Because if you can't manage a small level of peace and harmony, why would God set you over a bigger domain? If all you do is bring chaos to a small acreage, why would God set you over a city? Uh, So I want you to catch these principles. That brings us to the second sphere of authority, that is personal authorization. We cover this one second because it's established by God second. God established personal authority when he set two trees in the garden and determined one to be off limits. So he makes the garden. Then he makes man and puts man in the garden. And then he points out to the man. So he makes man, that's spiritual family. He sets him in a garden, that's spiritual authorization. Then he says, you see this tree here? Not yours. That establishes personal authority. God had to exercise, excuse me, Adam had to exercise authority over his will to keep that commandment. You will not eat the fruit of this tree lest you die, or you shall surely die. Adam had to exercise authority over self and authority over appetite and authority over curiosity to obey. So the second realm of authorization you see is authority over self. After the fall and excommunication from the garden, God reestablished personal authority when he addressed Cain's fallen countenance or attitude when he said, and unto thee shall be his or sin's desire and thou shalt rule over him. Twice in the first four chapters of Genesis, we see authorization to control self. Now this is a far cry from today's country and today's culture where nobody wants any responsibility. But one of the very first things God ever established was you and I have authority over our total being. You can control yourself. I just couldn't help myself. Yes, you could. You didn't want to help yourself. (laughs) If you can't master the cupcake or the seventh one, you are going to suffer in this life. Well, honey, it was on sale. The more I spent, the more we saved. 
Then load up the truck till it's free. No, you spent money we didn't have authorized. I just couldn't help myself. You didn't want to help yourself. So I'm glad you weren't in the garden because everybody would have died forever. I'm sure that's what Eve said. I just couldn't help myself. And thanks a lot, Eve. And then what about you, Adam? I had to do what she told me because, you know, happy wife, happy life. That's a retarded statement, by the way. Honey, if you're not happy, what's wrong with you? And if you're waiting for me to make you happy, where's your walk with God? So I totally reject this retarded American notion, happy wife, happy life. What means you're whipped? If you're not happy, honey, get with Jesus and pray for your husband. Like Pastor Vaughn said, if I could put mad in you, I should be able to put glad in you. But it's evident I don't put glad in you, so don't blame me for your mad. It's already in you, sister. Happy wife, happy life. That's manipulation. Unhappy wife, backslidden wife. How about we work it that way? And the Bible says if she's unhappy, move to the rooftop, dude. <laughs> That's the wisdom of Proverbs. You can't wrestle with that wisdom. That's rock solid. All right, personal authority. Almost all success in life stems from this authority. That is self-authority. If you can't control self, you won't be trusted anywhere in life. How many doctors lose their license because they get on, hooked on their own drugs? How many teachers go to prison because they're sleeping with students? How many politicians, most of them, get uh, kicked out of, well, not enough of them, get kicked out of offices because they can't avoid graft and embezzlement? If you can't master yourself, you don't deserve leadership. Amen. So that brings us to the third sphere of authority, which is the natural family. We cover that third because God established it third. Before he made Eve, he told Adam that tree's off limits. Then he gave Adam a family. This does set the principle that until you can be married, until you're ready to be married, you better be able to master yourself. That's the order God set it. I made you. I taught you self-authority. Once you learn self-authority, now you're ready to lead a family because if you can't master self, you can't lead a family. I could make a whole long list of things I think disqualify you from being ready for marriage, but it would offend all of you. If you can't master appetites, all of them, I don't think you're ready for marriage. Because if you can't master self, you won't be able to lead a, hus a wife, not a husband. That's what some of you are doing right now. <laughs> you can't even control yourself. Why do you try to control him? The natural family is just what we would assume it to be. The natural family was developed when God built Eve and instituted marriage, commanding the first couple to be fruitful and multiply. Authority in the natural family is inherent in the husband's seat as head of the family. God made Adam first. It's God's design, not mine. We do affirm the biblical patriarchy. There is a whole lot of theological discussion. I'm even reading it on Christian websites I trust, trying to debunk biblical patriarchy. It's blasphemous. I even watched some Greek scholar this week try to undo the word head from the New Testament, where it says, and the head of every wife is her husband, the head of every man is Christ, and the head of Christ is God. And they tried to say what it means is that, that the word head means to issue forth from. So are you saying Christ issued forth from God? That would be a Trinitarian heresy because Christ is God. Anyway, 
We still affirm, because the Bible establishes it, the patriarchy. We don't affirm abuse or caveman ideologies, but somebody's got to be in charge. And any woman who walks with God knows she's not graced to run the family like the husband can. Any woman who walks with God knows when my husband goes out of town, I am graced to run things for a season, but when he comes home, things come up higher. That's how it works unless your marriage is dysfunctional and you don't really have a husband living at home, so you can't tell when he's gone anyway. If you can't tell when your husband's gone, your marriage is a mess. And I don't just mean because the bed's cold on his side. But you, if you can't tell a spiritual difference in your home when your husband leaves and when your husband comes back, your marriage is a mess. We don't have time to fix that, but I want to help you diagnose mess. After God made Adam, he determined man needed help. And that is absolutely the truth. God built a helper for Adam, Eve, simultaneously instituting marriage, which is one man and one woman as one flesh, and establishing the natural family. The sinless natural family only lasted until the original sin, and then Adam and Eve were thrust out of the garden. Authority in the natural family is innate in the husband-father position. Husbands and wives are joint heirs. Are, they're equal as joint heirs together the grace of life, but there is an economic subordination necessarily uh, excuse me, necessary for the success of the home. That is, the head of every woman is her husband. My wife and I are joint heirs together of the grace of life. We're equal spiritually. We are not equal authoritatively. My wife has a lot of my authority because I delegate it to her, and every wise husband would delegate a lot of authority to his wife so she can be activated in her graces. But any man too lazy and give, to give his wife all of his authority shouldn't have been married in the first place. Every, any man who wants his wife to do everything should have never gotten married in the first place. You should move home with mama. Let her breast satisfy you at all times because you're still nursing there. If you're going to be a man, be a man and exercise the dominion you gave you. Again, I don't believe every Christian should be married. I believe every Christian is called to be married, but many are called, few are chosen. And I say that because I fix marriages regularly. And some marriages I look at, I think, if I had you... When you were in your 20s, I would have married you because you guys are dysfunctional and you've been discipled a long time. The father, husband, and mother, wife share authority over their children and raise them together in the fear of God that they might obtain godly seed. Excuse me, that God might obtain godly seed. That's Malachi 2.15. The purpose of natural family is to replenish the earth with people who know and work with God accomplishing his will in the earth, producing peace and harmony. Societies are built on families. Dysfunctional families build dysfunctional societies. All you have to do is to look at the inner cities of America that are notoriously and statistically fatherless. Anywhere there is fatherlessness, there is chaos and crime. It's spiritual law. It has nothing to do with color. If you think it has to do with color, you're the racist. But culture begats culture. Now we're seeing in our nation, in the last 50 years, blacks have been notoriously 85% fatherlessness. That's the statistic. Whites are now 60, 65% fatherless. Broken homes. We'll watch. We'll, honestly, you don't see black furries. You see white furries. Why? Because of the broken homes because of social media. You don't really see a lot of black transgender. You see a lot of white transgender. Why? Broken homes. 
Broken families produce broken culture. Broken cultures produce broken societies. And America is broken because our homes are broken. The purpose of a God-ordained home with a husband in charge, loving and leading his wife, and them together as one in the eyes of Christ, raising children, is to be a foundational support for society. But our nation's been mocking the nuclear family and the patriarchy since the hippies smoked their dope and, and created HIV. That's not accurate, but fair enough. <laughs> they did smoke some dope and have their STDs. I'm not sure HIV came out of the 60s, but they're about late 70s. And our family is crumbling because that's how you take out the Christian nation. So what that means for us is you as husbands have to lead your wives. And you as wives have to support your husbands. And together you raise kids. You put more time in your kids than you put anywhere else. You can tell your boss to go pound salt. Because why make it 401k and send your kids to hell? And that brings us to civil governments. So think about it. Let's review real quick. Spiritual family is designed to bring peace and harmony to the earth. Your natural authority is designed to bring you peace and harmony in your life. Peace in your mind, harmony in your body. When you don't take care of your body, you got to see the doctor a lot more. We're living on the cusp of science technology. You can have new hips, new knees. You can have a new heart. You can have a pig valve. You can have ocular implants. You can replace a lot of your body, but there's nothing like the original. Steward your body. That's why you have authorization. If society knows it's not good to eat, quit eating it. If society, if culture, if your Instagram page knows that it's not good to eat, quit eating it. Be healthy. Live longer. Maybe we should have folks rotate through the nursing home so you can see what sick looks like the last 15 years of your life. And maybe we get our nursing home ministers to interview those folks. How did you end up here? A lifetime of cupcakes, ho-hos, and pork rinds. <laughs> How old are you? 52. <laughs> like, what? 52? <laughs> Civil governments. The greater a population, the greater its need to be governed. Thus, civil governments. You know, when it's just you and your wife, you have a lot of unspoken rules. You might violate each other a little bit with attitude or inconvenience or selfishness, so you make a new rule. But you know that the more kids you have, the more rules you put into your home. Now think about the way back in the patriarchal times when it's just Abraham and Sarah, then all of a sudden they start multiplying, and you just have tent rules, then you have to have communal rules, tribal rules, and all of a sudden you become a city. Now you have to have city rules. It, it's a natural extension of humanity that a population, a civility to be civil must be governed. So rules are implemented. It's a natural extension of family growth. Civil governments refers to the system of rule by which any group of people are governed. Civil governments were not necessary until after the fall. And we know that in the millennial of the increase of Christ's kingdom, there shall be no end. He will still govern over us, and you and I should be magistrates ruling with him with rods of iron over one city, five city, ten cities. Hopefully none of you are so neglectful in your Christianity that you're pushing a hot dog stand selling kosher wieners somewhere in Baltimore in the millennial kingdom. But there will be some Christians, you will be street sweepers because you don't serve him now, so there'll be nothing to give you then. Civil governments were not necessary until after the fall. Civil governments make and enforce laws protecting the God-given rights of mankind. Civil governments make and enforce laws protecting, protecting. 
Civil government is not meant to give us rights. Okay, you've never heard that. That's why there's no hearty amens. Marxism says all of our rights come from the government. Marxism says we have no freedom, but the government bequeaths it. That's Marxism. It's a demon. The law of nature and nature's God says all of our freedoms and liberties are God-given because he's our maker. Our founding fathers codified all of this in our foundational articles. God has given us life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And happiness isn't happy wife, happy life. Happiness is a different word by today's standard. Civil governments were meant to protect our rights, not bestow them. All authority outside of the spiritual and natural family will fall under civil governments. This includes schools, universities, businesses, etc. All those are governed by governmental bodies. Our universities are overseen by Board of Regents, and they are inspected by governments. So our schools, even private schools, have to come up to some standardized level. And universities, businesses, all businesses, you have to have a business license, which is administrated by civil government. Everything outside the church and the family is governed by civil politics. There's an argument, I don't get into the fray of it, that why do I need to go and register my marriage with the deeds? Uh, Whatever. Civil magistrate. Because it's a spiritual institution. Why does the government have to be involved? There are some Christians that want to argue that, and I don't really care. I don't care what the government knows about my marriage. I'm not ashamed of it. I don't care that I'm registered. But there is, a, there is this biblical argument to be made. Why do I have to register my marriage with the civil government? It's none of their business. But then again, if we say it's none of their business, then I should be able to marry a dog. So you see how politics gets real murky and academics don't help because somebody's got to make up a new Ph.D., and most of them are Marxist and woke tards anyway. This is critical because what you're watching right now in our nation and the heartbeat of Marxism is an insubordination, a serping of all ordained authority. So with the three we've looked at, or the four we've looked at, spiritual family, Marxism in our country says, who cares about the church? God is not real. That's Marxism. Personal authority. Our government, our country, our academics say, our culture says, it's nothing's your responsibility. If you do something dumb, that was somebody else's fault. And you know what? Somebody else will pay for it. Family, natural family. The government says, those are my kids. They aren't your your kids. Academics say, those are my kids. School teachers say, those are my kids. Hillary Clinton, biggest compromised nastiest, wicked woman who will soon be in hell where she belongs. She said, it takes a village to raise your kids. Right? Well, you're the village idiot, and I'm not putting my kid in your village. So you see our society undermining that authority, saying, you know, your kids aren't your responsibility. California passed a law that if you don't help your kids transition, they'll take them away from you. I think DCS is a gaggle of retards, no offense, Sarah, because they... You know, because you know it. You've worked for them as long as we've been out of college, 25 years. And how many kids die in your custody every year? Hundreds. Hundreds die in Tennessee state custody every year. So obviously the government doesn't have a clue what they're doing. And then you come to civil governments. And the inmates run the asylum. And civil government's supposed to protect our freedoms. And you have this giant retarded movement of defund those who protect us. 
So this is important because everything that is woke, it's not just a black thing. Everything that is woke is a spirit that is to undermine God-ordained authority. And if you fall for it, you'll have no authority in the spirit realm, and demons will come for you and your children, your marriage, your happiness, your joy, your peace. And the only way to protect all of you and your stuff is to exercise biblical authority, to take responsibility for yourself and then your family, the house of God, and then righteous civil governments. It's pretty simple in my opinion, but maybe that's why I'm the one to teach it, because to me, I look at it, it's common sense. To listen to the talking heads, to listen to academics, to listen to the media, I think you guys have a strong delusion. You, you saw the, the limb you're standing on saying the tree is wicked. Keep sawing that limb, retard. And I hope you hit every branch on the way down. And I hope all the other branches that you sawed off are sticking straight up, ready to impale you in your foolishness. The sole purpose of civil government is to create and maintain peace and harmony for its populace, its students, and its employees. Does it surprise you that the leftist cities want to defund the police? And the more they do, the more the crime goes up. And the more the crime goes up, the more the Fortune 500 companies abandon the city. And the more they abandon the city, the more their tax revenue goes down. And the more the tax revenue goes down, the more these gorgeous cities of our great states become third world hell holes with drunks, druggies, rape, murders, all because you're woke? What'd you wake up to? Marxism, lawlessness. By the way, all of this, wokeism, Marxism, that is the essence of the spirit of lawlessness. Everything we're talking about here is the nature of authority. There's law to spiritual family. There's law to natural authority. There's law to natural family. There's law to civil governments. And the flavor of the day is lawlessness. Do what you want, when you want, as you want. When you have like New York City and Portland giving druggies needles and aluminum foil and lighters so they can do drugs, and you think that's how you solve homelessness? The problem is they'll abandon their cities and come to conservative preserves and muck up our watering holes too. So trifold mastery, that's enough of that. Christians serve the Prince of Peace. Therefore, it should not come as a surprise that we are expected to manifest peace through the authority God has delegated to us. We ought to manifest peace everywhere we go and in everything we do. If we're teachers, our classrooms are bastions of peace. If we're at home, our apartment, our house trailer, our, our homes should be full of the peace of God. Our cubicles ought to be little reserves of the peace of God. Our office space ought to be the reserves of the peace of God. Our businesses ought to be designed by peace. If we employ pagans, they ought to look forward to coming to work because they find peace. Our children ought to grow up in still waters, not turbulent back eddies and riptides. This includes the three jurisdictions of authority, or we should say four. That is spiritual, personal, familial, and civil. It should also not surprise us that many of God's people fail to master all three areas or four areas of authorization. So my, my thing I want to keep hammering here, you and I are called to master all four areas. Master the spiritual family and whatever authority is given to you here. Master self-authority. 
You ought to be disciplined. Your mind should be disciplined. Your money should be disciplined. Your emotions should be disciplined. Your body should be disciplined. And if you're parenting, you're raising your children to control their mind, their will, their emotions, their money, and their bodies. Wherever you fail, they'll multiply it. Wherever you're lazy, they'll multiply it. Wherever you're sloppy, they'll multiply it. Wherever you're lax, they'll multiply it. And just because you have it doesn't mean they'll get it unless you teach it to them. And all your kids are different, so they'll gravitate towards different things with their strengths differently. So one kid may have to have extra work on their budget and their finances. Another kid may have to have extra help with their diet. Some kids, they can eat five pizzas and still look like they have a tapeworm. Other kids... They just barely snack and they balloon up. And you got to help those kids recognize how to delegate and regulate their own body. Sloppy kids become sloppy adults. You're awfully quiet this morning. I don't know if it's because you're thinking, where was this message 20 years ago? It's common sense. We were operating in it. We just didn't put words to it. This also explains why our nation's going to hell led by the church. So let's look at a couple of examples. Abraham, the father of faith, was a successful business owner. He had property, lots of livestock, lots of employees, servants and slaves. That's a business owner. And he was a military strategist. He helped lead the battle of the four kings against the five and one. He was a tribal negotiator, demonstrating tremendous civil authority prowess. He left over the Chaldees to obey God and worship God, demonstrating a commitment to spiritual authority. But it appears that his marriage to Sarah was continuously strained. At the time of Sarah's death in Genesis 23, she and Abraham were living apart. I bet you never noticed that. She left him because he was going to sacrifice Isaac. He was living in Beersheba, and she was living in Hebron. And the Bible tells us that when she died, Abraham had to come to where she was to mourn for her. That's a separation. I don't think Sarah is a great spiritual role model, to be honest. I think Hagar was the greater spiritual role model. We often look down our nose at her. Sarah was in control of everything. I personally, when I look at Abraham, I see him doing everything he can to please her because, you know, happy wife, happy life. What a retarded sentiment. And Abraham was never able to make her happy. She's called a liar by the Lord, Sarah. She lies to the Lord, and the Lord says, well, you're lying to me. I didn't laugh, and he says, yeah, you did. There would seem to have been a short circuit in his marriage, which shows a weakness in his family authority. Maybe she was bitter because she didn't have a a baby. Don't don't let a, a dry womb make you hate your man and your God. Moses, the meekest of all men, was a phenomenal Egyptian leader, then the first national shepherd of Israel, which shows his civil leadership. He received and implemented God's old covenantal worship system during the Exodus, which means he was a great spiritual leader. However, his first wife divorced him, and his sons showed no interest in God, which is a family breakdown. It is even widely believed that his grandson, Jonathan, son of Gershom, which was one of his kids, became the false priest of a cult in Dan during the time of the judges. Now, I say widely believe. The judges does record that a Jonathan, the son of Gershom, of Manasseh, which is what the King James reads and that's what the Hebrew reads, but most rabbi scholars and the sagittical guys, the rabbinics, say that Manasseh was actually, uh, they adjusted the word in one of the original manuscripts to hide Moses' embarrassment. 
Because there's only one Gershom that's mentioned, and that's the son of Moses. And so just by one little jot and tittle in the Hebrew, you can make Moshe become Manasseh. And the, the Hebrews believe this. The rabbis hold to this. So we say it could be. But if his sons don't show any interest, and Jonathan was a Levite, and Gershom was a Levite, and Moses was a Levite, and this is in the season of Moses' time he dies, Joshua, then the judges, this is in the right time period. What it shows you is that Moses was a great leader, great businessman of sorts, great politician, great spiritual leader, horrible at family. Abraham, great business leader, great spiritual leader, not so good at home. You see the pattern? Eli, the high priest that lost the Ark of the Covenant to the Philistines, faithfully fulfilled his role as priest, spiritual leadership, trained Samuel the boy prophet, arguably a civil duty because he's the next national leader, but failed to discipline his sons. That's a familial breakdown. His failure at home led to the downfall of Israel in battle and the death of himself and his two wicked sons. Great with business or, or civility, civil politics, great with spiritual leadership, horrible at home. See the pattern? Samuel, Israel's last judge, also successfully served as a national prophet, civil and spiritual authority. However, it was his failure as a parent, family authority, resulting in his sons becoming men of Belial that caused Israel to desire a king. Perhaps the thought of Samuel's wicked sons one day being the next judge or prophet was too horrific for the people to imagine. Samuel's failure at home shifted the entire history of Israel. Because of Samuel's wicked sons, Israel said, we don't want any more judges or prophets. Give us a king. Great civil leader, great spiritual leader, horrible family man. See the pattern? David. Israel's greatest king excelled at civil and spiritual leadership, expanding Israel, establishing her sovereignty, writing scores of psalms, and establishing the tabernacle of David, but failed miserably at family leadership. He was a horrible husband. When the king was not to multiply wives, and he had seven or eight and then ten concubines, David, you violated one of only three kingly obligations, and your son multiplied it even far worse than that. He was a distracted father. All of his sons failed God. Not a one was successful. You could maybe argue Solomon for the first 10 years. He was always more eager to execute justice on behalf of his people rather than his children. He showed no interest in executing judgment or discipline among his kids. None. So do you see the pattern? Great civil leader. Great spiritual leader. Horrible at home. From these five examples, a pattern very quickly arises. Quite often, we can successfully steward in some areas and not others. I was trying to find others who were successful at home but failed at other places. I couldn't find any. Because the man is always more determined outside of his home than he is at home. Nothing's changed. Always giving your boss your life force, but never your kids. Come home, judge, jury, executioner, because your kids are a mess and the house is a mess, but it's your fault. Spend more time with them. Tell your boss, quote Dolly Parton, the prophetess. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. <laughs> Only good thing that woman ever said that I can quote right now. 
If it's costing you your family and their salvation, it's not worth it. No money's worth it. Though successful national and spiritual leaders, each of these men had family failures, some of which severely hurt the people, uh, the larger group of people they were leading. You think neglecting your kids is just going to hurt your kids. There's no telling who it's going to hurt later. The Apostle Paul is seemingly aware of these facts because he knew the Old Testament better than all of us in here combined. He addressed the potential for churches to repeat the same issue when he said of elders that they must be one that rules well his own house. He almost like he said, nobody's following in the footsteps of Abraham or Moses or Eli or Samuel or David. Not happening on my watch. So if you're going to promote anybody, Timothy, they got to rule well at home first. Having their children in subjection with all gravity. Notice it says his kids, not hers. When our kids get upset or irritable, we say, those are your kids. (laughs) Did you see what your son did? Why is it my son? Because he made a mess. He learned that from you, woman. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the house of God? But, I add, be encouraged. God wants us to master authority that we glorify him, establish his peace and harmony all around us, and receive the promotions of the kingdom. Amen.